Truman in Tennessee, An Intimate Conversation is a surprising, incredibly candid film about the friendship of two larger-than-life American writers, Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote. The documentary helmed by filmmaker Lisa Vreeland weaves a captivating tapestry of archival interviews, photos, and writings from the two men, beautifully brought to life by the voices of Jim Parsons as Capote and Zachary Kinto as Williams, that brings out the humanity of these two figures in all of their anxieties, confidence, artistry, contradictions, successes, and failures. I found this film to be incredibly relatable and I loved it. I recommend it to anyone who's a fan of these two men or just interested in learning more about the human beings behind the mythologies. Will you welcome the man who's that magnificent writer? A great dramatist. It's Mr. Truman Capote. Mr. Tennessee Williams. The great accomplishment of In Cold Blood is that I never appear once. I wanted to write a book that would read exactly as though it were a novel, except that every word of it would be absolutely true. I think the only thing I've done that is an autobiographical work was The Glass Menagerie. It was the first hit that I had. I really think you've written a masterpiece here. Thank you. Why did I write? We all... Uh, have a great desire to escape from ourselves. People are always saying, are you happy? I think it's the most idiotic question I know. But with that, what were your initial thoughts? What were your expectations going in? It's tough because we talk about documentaries a lot and uh, how they sort of like do and don't push the envelope. And I think this one for me didn't do anything very interesting from a filmmaking standpoint, but I also was interested enough in the subject matter. And I know sometimes we knock films for like leaning too heavily into like you're interested in our subject matter so we don't have to try very hard i don't know if this is necessarily that kind of movie but it was more about i was interested in these two people more interested in these two people than what was going on in the movie i actually just recently read a streetcar named desire for the first time the play i'd never read it before and so this was like a nice dovetailing of just like what i read in my spare time and like what so for me, learning about Tennessee Williams was really valuable because I didn't have that background. Somehow I went through high school and college being an English major unscathed by <laughs> Tennessee Williams. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Public education. Um, and so for me, like that part was really valuable because there isn't like a biopic about him or a narrative about him that you can reference. I like the It was informative. It was informative in a way that I think actually did help me understand the work mm. better. Um, and especially with the segments of Tennessee Williams, because so much of his work was adapted into films. You see those film clips to kind of highlight the themes that are happening in his life that he's talking about in his work. Um, I think it was really effective. And I think if you just know the names and don't know anything about these writers, it's a really good entry into their relationship and this interesting literary pairing. My entry to Tennessee Williams is cinema. I don't know his work as much uh, beyond the ones that have been made into films. I've obviously seen Streetcar Named Desire. I've seen uh, Baby Doll. I've seen a handful of other ones. And that's all I knew. about. I know the name, Tennessee Williams. I knew nothing about the person. Uh, as far as Truman Capote, very similar. I knew the work. I knew Breakfast at Tiffany's. I knew In Cold Blood. I knew the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. I saw Infamous. I don't remember anything about that movie. But I knew that he was a socialite. And that he was like, you know, he had a voice that was very distinct and that he liked to party. That's all I really knew 
about him. Yeah. It's and a really educated group of people yeah, here in this film. Exactly. Yeah. We are the <laughs> authorities on this particular film. Uh, but essentially, like, I love this film so much. And I often criticize, like, documentaries that take a fairly traditional, po- like, approach. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's absolutely, like, effective and necessary. And I thought that this film incredibly... It was just so human. These people are like legendary characters that are, that honestly, like, I think their work existed on another level from them as people. So seeing these people as human beings with their flaws and their, their insecurities and their, uh, it was pretty unexpected. I was not expecting a film like this. What was with that interviewer? They both were like with this yeah. one interviewer, and who was that? Dude? I don't even know, but I don't know, but I liked I, him. He he, he was asking some hard hitting questions asked, when he, he asked was, Tennessee true. Williams, "Do you like yourself?" Yeah, like Tennessee Williams' mind is blown, and he's like, "I have never thought about that." Yeah, and then he's like, "No." And yeah. Also, I think he seemed a little messed up too. So, <laughs> well, I mean the the I mean, questions that they the the footage that they got the the writings that they got the uh, clips from those interviews, like it gets so vulnerable and so explicit a lot of times and so human. That is, that's shocking to me. Because I think like, actually I think both of them are two people who had, who used their work very therapeutically. Or, I mean, I think also with Truman Capote specifically, um, he talks about how like in retrospect, he realized how much his early work was like very much him writing autobiographically or just trying to work out his trauma, his sexuality. Um, but anyway, I think as like a reader or a viewer from the beginning, that's always been something that's been known in a lens that their work has been viewed from is like a queer lens, which is more of a modern term, but like still at the time it would have been like camp or something like that. Um, but um I do think there is like very interesting access to like archival materials. And especially I think when they're talking about the work and they're showing like drafts of, of their writing and like revisions and things, that's something that a documentary doesn't normally go into. That was very cool. I also loved the ability for Tennessee Williams when he's talking about like some of the stuff he was going through in his life. And then also, the work that they were able to like go to so many clips from films that just seemed like, Oh, this is him literally writing about like what he's talking about. And I love when people can work that stuff in, but also the voice work, uh, Jim Parsons and Zachary Kinto, uh, Jim Parsons doing Capote's voice. And then Zachary Kinto doing, um, Tennessee Williams voice. It was really well done. It was very effective. I thought, yeah, those are good performances. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, like when you when you study literature, like th- there's a lot of different lenses through which you can like look at work. Um, I think for me, the biographical approach has always been the least interesting to me. Like I don't like this kind of like one to one correlation between like this happened in the author's life, and so they wrote about it, and this is a line in the play that you could like reference this thing. Um, I think this movie made that interesting for me. Um, But I think there was also some archival material where the authors themselves are kind of pushing back at that interpretation of their work, which I think is interesting. Like um, the interviewer asks, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams, like, 
you know, why do you write, write about these like difficult subjects, you know, like rape and incest and cannibalism? And he's like, well, they're also metaphors, you know, like we, we all experience some kind of exploitation in these ways. And so it's also like Tennessee Williams kind of like pushing back at like that he is just a gay writer or he is just a writer um, who, you know, uh, writes about ab- abused women, <laughs> right? Or, and I think that that, that it, the film allowed for that to happen as well, which I think was nice because that is, um, I think, just always a criticism to have in the back of your mind when you're talking about like a creative person. It's that like, can the work exist outside of them? I think it can. And I think in, to some extent it has to. Well, and I mean, even coming from, you know, loving the film streetcar named desire or you know a lot of the stuff that (laughs) that part was interesting too like when um tennessee williams and truman capote were talking about like how their work had to be changed for film because they were working under the production code so like a streetcar named desire they had to like hint at the fact that like um you know that she's gonna be able to leave him like stella's not leaving him stella's very much staying with him like she loves him she's like yeah, I thought that that was interesting too. Kind of getting into the mechanics of like how how the work necessarily changes because of like commercial pressures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I guess I just meant that like you know knowing nothing about Tennessee Williams, but being like, oh, I like that film and I like that. And I have my other other problems with Street Crime Desire too, as a communist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I mean, this is probably known. They probably didn't break this story in it, but just Truman Capote talking about how, while he thought Audrey Hepburn did a fine job in Breakfast at Tiffany's, she was not, he did, he could not see her in the role. He wanted Marilyn Monroe. I thought that was a really interesting bit of Hollywood lore. That's such an iconic role. Um, That would have been fun to see in a way, but like imagining Holly Golightly being in any way different than how Audrey Hepburn played her. It's kind of weird. I feel like as soon as he said that, I saw it. I was like, oh, I get it. But then again, I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany in a very long time. So, I mean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about their friendship and their ups and downs and, and also the parallels they had in their lives and also the, how different they were in a lot of ways. And I think that was like one of the interesting things about the films is just, I mean, how a lot of their experiences were alike, but how they are totally different people and they handle those things. What you think is totally differently, but of course they both died, you know, because of their addictions, you know, and the way that they actually handled those anxieties and fears and self doubts and stuff like that in the background. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, they're both Titans of American literature working at the same time who became friendly and at at times friends and at times just friendly, (laughs) but yeah, both from very complicated Southern upbringings, Mm -hmm. um, both gay, both with one major relationship in their entire life. Um, that's a lot of parallels just right there. Um, so yeah, I think it makes sense to make a movie comparing and contrasting them for sure. Um, sad that, I mean, also, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe their outlooks on life were very different though. Yeah, that's true. Like there's, you know, that little moment where, um, there's a big party where Truman Capote is being honored. Oh, and, his infamous white party. Yeah. And Tr- Truman Capote is like, 
so just delighted by the attention and Tennessee Williams like I purposely did not go kind of the like I don't want to go to any party that would have me type of Mm -hmm. sentiment and he's like I don't need that fame I don't want to feed off of it in any way like that's the most shallow way to interact with people and it was Truman Capote's like he the best night of his life it energized him in a way and I just thought that was like so so interesting for some people who have so many parallels right like um and who do similarly like introspective things and use their work in that way like their outlooks to life are still just completely different yeah and where Tennessee Williams sort of retreated Mm -hmm. uh, as like creatively I mean he calls it a slump in the movie so as he like is not as successful creatively. He just kind of withdraws from life where Truman Capote infamously became even more of a character, even more of a public figure uh, where you see him going to studio. Like he was a studio 54 regular, like 15 years after in cold blood comes out. Like this is his, (laughs) this is his third act or second act in life. Um, Yeah. So different. And then writes ends up, you know, trying to make a comeback writing these like, extremely gossipy mean books mm-hmm. <laughs> very like gay tullies style oh, like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> like very much like writing about his famous friends uh-huh. in a way that was like very very thinly veiled mm-hmm. like very like thinly Jackie veiled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly yeah um and yeah i mean they couldn't be more different i mean tennessee williams i definitely was more um, I mean, he's definitely more reserved and I think he was definitely more, I mean, just judging by those interviews, like more uncomfortable in his skin, you know, mm. oh, sure. just the way mm-hmm. he moved and the way he answered those questions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, um, but it's really interesting cause there's a part where this interviewer asks like Truman Capote, if he could be anything else, what would he be? And Truman Capote said, invisible lie. <laughs> Straight yeah. up totally. lying. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually interesting because I think um, what we're seeing is those how those two act in public yeah. on a stage. I actually think Truman Capote was extremely self-loving. I think maybe, oh, of course. maybe he did want to be And like invisible. compensating for yeah. that. I think, I, I mean, my impression is that Tennessee Williams probably in private moments was, he thrived off that more. He probably, he probably enjoyed being himself oh, of more course. than yeah. Truman Capote did. I really have that feeling too, because yeah. I feel like maybe he's just more uncomfortable in those like mm-hmm. public situations and doing those interviews and mm-hmm. answering questions about whether he likes himself, and Ugh. and that's like so hard to do. Uh, but he didn't have an answer to that, which I thought was interesting, because I, if I'm asked that question, I immediately have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for somebody who. Uh, has probably spent so much time thinking about himself. He's like, I've never thought of it in that way. Like I've never thought of that question. He's like, I guess I'm fine with myself. Um, and I think that, that is like that little nugget to me was like interesting. Yeah. Who are our authors? (laughs) Currently? Yeah. We got nobody. Jonathan Safran Foer. Well, yeah, but I'm just thinking of like, you know, there's authors aren't really going on like Jimmy Fallon. You know what I mean? Like they're not. The media is more segmented now. Like, yeah. Like who's, who's going on the, you know, the night. You the have nightlies. to listen to the New York times book review podcast to hear authors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know who's big right now though. I mean like, yeah, I mean, that's probably on me. I'm reading Rachel Kushner's new book though. 
How is it? I, that's I re- on my I'm list. I'm really liking okay. it. I mean, it's really interesting watching films about these times because this was mainstream television and they're having these conversations that feel more open and frank than anything I hear in like mainstream conversation nowadays or even on like NPR to be honest mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um yeah like which is, which when was the last why... time i was listening to npr they're like what is love <laughs> well but like that's why like terry gross like she ventures towards those questions and i think that mm. that's why people just think that she's such a great interviewer mm-hmm. um because she's actually asking people questions that like jimmy kimmel's not thinking of those questions right. <laughs> you know he's like what are you selling uh sell yeah. it to our audience in a three-minute segment before yeah. this commercial um, but I think you're right. Like these kinds of like literary conversations or conversations with literary people about the world, not just about their work or about the very specific book that is coming out in oh, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would love to see more of that. So what should people watch with Truman in Tennessee? I'm recommending a documentary from a few years ago that is, uh, actually we kind of alluded to a bit of it a second ago. It's called Best of Enemies, and it's about those televised, infamous televised debates between Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley Jr. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> Not the real one. Yeah. And through, the, through these debates, um, there was an infamous set of three, I believe, uh, on primetime TV at one point, I think during the height of Vietnam is what kind of spurred it. Um, obviously, I did a lot of research on the refreshing on this, but it's a very well-made documentary, and they use the the um, the story of these uh, debates launch into a biographical exploration of these two people and comparing them, who of course could not politically have been more different. Um, but yeah, there's just interesting parallels and um differences that kind of show how they end up where they were on that stage um my recommendation is to uh, go watch the 1951 adaptation of a streetcar named desire starring vivian lee and marlon brando uh, who originated the role on stage and plays stanley kowalski on screen um and from omaha and from omaha never Um, forget (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I recently read this play um, and then, like, you know, watched the film afterwards. I think it's one of those um, plays and one of those films that gets referenced so often that you kind of lose the original context of the references. Um, And it was really interesting to go back and, like, recontextualize when he's yelling Stella. And you're like, why is this iconic? He's literally uh, just finished beating her. And is drunk. <laughs> and yet people take it as like this <laughs> say anything kind of moment. And it is not. Um, so yeah, I just I just think it's always good to revisit kind of like these texts that are like almost so entwined with pop culture that like they're kind of meaningless. You just know the reference and you can live your life without ever having seen the thing. Watch the thing. Maybe also um, take that film and do what Tennessee Williams said and like pause it at the end and then go read the end of the play instead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done that, but I, after I watched yeah, this film, a, I, I do want to do that. It's a very different ending yeah. and it's a much bleaker ending yeah. uh, in mm. the play, but I also think Which a is more my realistic style. ending. That's my jam. In the play. I like a bleak ending. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to go to something that's new, that's out now. 
you know, I've never been, I've always been someone who wanted the weird documentaries, the, you know, making fun of this person, but I've been like revisit or actually visiting for the first time a lot of Ken Burns films. Mm. And I actually just am in the middle. I haven't finished yet, but I'm in the middle of watching Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I just think that it's another American author. It's an interesting story that they're diving into what it doesn't mean for this character that Hemingway built, you know, as the drunkard literary man in America, you know, and right. I think it's interesting. Um, and I think Ken Burns is, uh, really diving into some stuff and, and wow, that man just puts together and his partner. Why am I forgetting her name? Lynn Novick. Novick. There it is. Yeah. Uh, so Ken Burns and Lynn Novick, they make films masterfully this type of film. And I think that as much as like, you know, I did not give it credence when I was younger I understand it now. And Hemingway is great. I really enjoyed that documentary. Yeah. And as a fellow English grad student, Mm -hmm. I think you can, you probably, uh, I I delighted in uh, uh, breaking down some of that legend. Truman in Tennessee is available on film streams at home. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBior. For film streams, I'm Patrick Kinney. And for film streams, I'm Diana Martinez.